Hello, and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. My name is Jonathan Sachs, Chief Revenue Officer at IDS, and I'm joined today by Alyssa Hecker of the Law Office of Alyssa D. Hecker. We're here today to talk intellectual property, creation, protection, and three important takeaways. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, how are you? I am good. I'm very excited that you're joining me today on this podcast. Um, I'm not going to say we only have one listener. I think we have more, but I don't (laughs) think we have a more dedicated listener to the IDS Talks podcast. I can count on you to shoot some sort of comment at some point within, I'd say, 48 hours of release. I'm a fan girl, big time. Yeah, well, that's that's good. Uh, In the interest of full disclosure to uh, to the listeners today. Um, I've been told that I might owe Alyssa my Rumpelstiltskin baby, your firstborn. <laughs> my for the, baby. Yeah, it's your baby. I yeah. owe you it. I got to give you the baby. Uh, I have had the pleasure of knowing Alyssa for far too long, not because it feels like it's been forever and that would suggest we're old. Uh, she's a very, very dear friend of mine and is the, uh, woman responsible for setting me up on a blind date back in 1996, resulting in said firstborn that apparently I will happily turn over to her. Although, uh, Alyssa, that's great. <laughs> but, but you know, at, at the point you wanted to take the child, they're mostly done. Chloe's almost done with nursing school. Ethan's in his sophomore. So you just want the good years. Yeah. I mean, we've had many opportunities, but I'd happy to take them whenever. Wow. Uh, in addition to being a great friend of mine and uh, uh, part of our family, she is a fantastic uh, attorney, um, and uh, I wanted her to join us today to talk a bit more about intellectual property. With everything that's going on with content creators, with with NIL deals and, and other things going on in the sporting world, um, with self-publication um, through various platforms – I thought this was a topic that was uh, a perfect one for our audience. So um, other than the woman responsible for uh, ultimately my, my two kids and my wonderful wife, let's start with who you are and what it is that you do. Hi. Well, thank you. That was a great introduction. And these are very sexy terms for me, not my two kids and my wife, but the name, image and likeness, all the content creation, all that stuff. Um, I am I act as go-to general counsel for small businesses, solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. Um, that's my sweet spot. It's all about relationships and building the businesses. And I also have a large practice in entertainment arts and book publishing. So all of those all together deal with a lot of intellectual property, licensing, protection, trade secrets, you name it. Um, your brand and your intellectual property really is the value of your business. Great. And and again, intellectual property is only part of what you do. Correct. Correct. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I do a lot of around that, all the business law, as well as um, anything falling under entertainment kind of arts, with the exception of criminal, uh, that I do not do. Okay. So we're going to focus on the, (laughs) that's, that's good. Um, May I never need to even find out from your network who to contact for one of those. Can easily Um, give you a referral if you need it. But it is very interesting. If you look at your website, for example, uh, it lists out um, and kind of talks about, well, suggests the areas that you can help people with. And it does range from the world of sports to, hey, you need to start a business. I can help you figure it out. 
All right. So we're going to focus on intellectual property. Uh, and I wanted to do is I, I wanted to start at the beginning creation. Um, how does one really create intellectual property? That's a good question. I'm going to answer like a lawyer. It depends. Are you talking about copyright? Are you talking about trademark or service mark? Are you talking about a trade secret? Uh, are you talking about a patent? There are several different types of intellectual property. With a copyright, it is an idea that is fixed in a tangible medium that is original. So you cannot protect an idea in general. It has to be fixed in something that you can hold so that it's it's not like an idea of star-crossed lovers. It has to be, I've written a play about blah, blah, blah kind of thing. Um, and then with a trademark or a service mark, that's your brand. That's your logo. That's the picture. Those are the words. That's something very different that has services or products that emanate from those. A patent is a design that you have to apply to get a patent for in order to, that was terrible grammar, in order to have protection over system, a mechanic, a something. Um, and then obviously trade secrets are, are more like confidential information. So all of these things can be created and all of them, for the most part, can be protected under a different kind of scheme, whether it be mostly federal um, under the Copyright Act or the Lanham Act for copyright and trademark or various state laws. All right. Interesting. So that term intellectual property, I mean, it's, it seems like we're talking about an umbrella term, but there's some very yeah. specific um, three major things, copyright, trademark, patent. Those usually are the three that fall under intellectual property. All right. So you mentioned, I think, two acts in particular about protection. But uh, can you walk us through? I don't I should know the answer to this, but I don't, which is why you're the guest on this podcast. <laughs> um, when you want to protect the intellectual property, what each of those three different ways that you protect, depending on whether it's a patent, whether it is. OK. Why don't you uh, tell me more about that? Okay. We'll, we'll start. We'll start at the very beginning. If we go back to the song that had to be protected, we'll start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start in music, for example. How that um, there's there's copyright. So in copyright, once you have it in your fixed tangible medium of expression and it is original and it's not in the public domain or anything like that, which means anyone can use it and it was created at a prior date or sorry, a date prior to at this point, 1928, or created by the government, um, you can have copyright upon creation as long as it's there. However, if you register it with the Copyright Office and the fees for registration are very short, they're small, they're from $35 to about $65, you can get what's called statutory damages. You can get legal fees if you have to file for infringement, you win, and you get extra protection. It basically is notice to the world that you own it. If you're going to bring an intellectual, I'm sorry, a copyright infringement litigation against someone, you have to have a registration with the Copyright Office. And it's very important. And when I say statutory damages, those are damages set by statute as opposed to actual damages, which means that, for example, you can get $150,000 per infringement rather than $10 based on what was sold in the store. So it's significant. Um, so with copyright and then with trademark, you would file with the Patent and Trademark Office. And it's a very long kind of application process. It's a little bit more expensive. With the Copyright Office, it's super user-friendly for a bureaucracy of the United States. And I usually tell my clients, unless you really, really need me, you can do it on your own. For trademark or service mark, trademark is for products, service mark is for services. 
same protection, same process. Um, there's a long process for an application with the Patent and Trademark Office, um, and you have to figure out what classifications you fall under. You must be using it in commerce and in interstate commerce or about to, uh, and there are a lot of requirements. And then for patents, it's a very long process. I highly recommend you get an attorney from the patent bar who usually has some kind of an engineering background to file for that. Once the registrations are in, there are other ways to protect your intellectual property as well, and that's by contract. Um, you can have all sorts of clauses in contracts, and I highly recommend these. Where are you signing your rights? Are you giving them away? Are you licensing them? Do you have prohibitions to how they're using, uh, how people are using them? So there are all sorts of parameters you can put around how your intellectual property is used. Now, what about if it... <laughs> So what if you, it, it is uh, now you talk specifically about, about trademarks, copyrights. What if it's just the company secrets? It's it's the magic of what they do and how secret they sauce. do it. The secret yeah. sauce. So that's under more like trade secrets and confidential information. Um, you may or may not want to register something like that with the copyright office because whatever you register becomes a public record so people can access it. Um, if you have confidential information as an employee, I presume your company, if it doesn't have, should have an employee manual that states in it that everything you create or learn about or use during the course of your employment belongs to the company. It is a work for hire, which means the employer steps in as the author of the work. Um, same thing if you have independent contractors, that usually isn't an independent contractor agreement, the work for hire language, which is necessary in order to assign copyright um, to the employer. But definitely you want to protect your trade secrets through contracts, through employee handbooks, through language saying confidential information, including but not limited to methods, systems, documents, client lists, lists, you know, all the way through everything that you think is part of your secret sauce. Right. And from back when I was wearing a lawyer hat, been clean since 2005. Um, I'm sorry. Well, um, I wouldn't have this podcast if I didn't, though. Right. So uh, I but I, I remember also it being um, being shared with employees that, you know, keep in mind, it is the company's right to seek enforcement of it. Correct. Uh, which didn't always mean the company was going to go after departed employees, mm -hmm. uh, but they might, which is why right. a lot of times we're contacted and we want to, you know, the clients want to know, did, did Alyssa take something she shouldn't have? You would never, you are too good. First of all, I work for myself. Second of all, <laughs> I would never do that. Third of all, it's, it's due diligence for a new company because a new company will likely have, um, if there's an employment agreement or an independent contractor agreement saying you are not taking confidential or privileged information from a previous employer or a third party wow. before coming in, because then we're going to hold you responsible and you're going to have to indemnify us if we're sued by that party. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I think that's yeah. a really that's an important point for the listeners. Um, it is it is something that I know uh, when we are bringing on new hires, we make very clear mm -hmm. Before they before day one of employment, do not mm -hmm. bring anything from your other employer yeah. with you. We That's do usually not in an offer an offer letter too. Yeah, yep. we we do not want any of it. And part of the reason is that that we believe that if we're going to enforce it, 
you know, and have our own agreements, we've got to live by them. We're not going to work to mm-hmm. undermine someone else's. So uh, well, it's good. You're working for an ethical company. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine you anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got the creation part. What do we do in terms of protection? I mean, you talked a little bit about this with the filings that you mm-hmm. do uh, within the within the different places. So we've, I think, I guess we've probably covered mm-hmm. this well. Um, instead, let's go to what an individual should do if they suspect somebody is either taking their intellectual property is is mis- has misappropriated it in some form or fashion. Okay. Um- some, you said individual, so this would work individual. This would work for a company. This would work for what, whoever is. This is this the is owner. this is. Yeah, you can answer in whichever order you want. If there sounds like there are three different ways you would answer it, so no, no, no I was going to say it doesn't matter if it's an individual or a company or whatever. It's it's actually pretty much my approach may differ from other attorneys' approaches. I try to take the let's all see if we can walk away with something kind of approach initially. Normally it's a gentle cease and desist letter. Hey, don't know if you're aware, but blah, 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 this trademark number, blah, 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 was registered, whatever, or here's our registered copyright, you're using it. Most of the time, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. We get a signed declaration, fine, they're also on notice. And if it's really not, if it's more like, I found this out there and it's not like there's money being made and it's just someone kind of using it for a trademark. If there's a likelihood of consumer confusion, we obviously want to stop that because we want to make sure that there's no dilution of a brand. So that's a really important thing. And as a trademark owner, it's your obligation to police that. So it's very important to get that out there. For copyright, there's also a statute of limitations. You have to file not you have to file or at least notify within a reasonable amount of time of when you knew or should have known that there was an infringement and then you can bring a lawsuit if you need to. My job is usually to go out and not have to deal with a lawsuit, but to have some sort of settlement. I have many folks to whom I can refer um, for litigation who are excellent copyright you know, litigators if, if there's an issue or trademark litigators, but it's usually a cease and desist letter. And that says, you're using this. We don't know if you're aware we own it. Stop using it. And like account to us for, you know, use from inception to date kind of thing. Um, If that becomes a back and forth, very often I've had clients, for example, who have done that and and the folks are like, well, we'd like to license it. Is that okay with you? And then we have some sort of a licensing arrangement or sometimes when it comes to marks, um, I've had a client who actually we sent a cease and desist letter for a trademark and the other party's like, well, we'd really like to buy it. And my client was like, you know what? I'm not really using it that much. And I was going to rebrand anyway. So let's make a deal. So you never know. I try to be a little gentler and more creative rather than coming in as the heavy hand. And then if necessary, we take the heavy hand of saying, listen, if you don't stop and you're being a real jerk about it, we're going to see you. Yeah, it sounds like so this is a case of it's down. easier to easier to be easier. It may be a better strategy to come at it from a nicer perspective. A, a you don't come straight out with the uh, lawsuit or the heavy threat of. Yeah, I find if you come out, and this is what I tell my clients a lot too when they're negotiating, like always blame the lawyer. Keep your relationships, and you never know when you're going to continue. You know, create and continue relationships. And I always say I like to help my clients make money and build relationships. That's it. Um, however, there are things like. 
you don't, you also don't want to be canceled. And it, there is a cancel culture. So if you come out and you send a nasty cease and desist letter, and that's posted on X, whatever, <laughs> Twitter, whatever, and and then and then you're blasted everywhere. That can actually really harm a brand, or you know, or a copyright of someone. And you know, say you're in the music business, or say you're you're an entertainer. You don't want to look like an ass. So it's nicer to come in and, and I always feel like start respectfully, see how they respond. Oh, there you go. Not nice. I like that. Start respectfully. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that one. Oh, Have you patented? Is it patented? Is it trademarked yet? It, it is not I, fixed in a tangible medium. It's out there. So I'm happy to share it. I mean, look, if you wanted to send me the cease and desist, that's fine. <laughs> I'd take it. Um, all right. Let me ask you this question. So we kind of covered the patent and the trademark situation, the secret sauce situation. Have you handled matters where someone has come to you and said, I think someone has taken the secret sauce? Mm-hmm. And what was your approach? They didn't have a confidentiality agreement. They didn't have an employment agreement. They didn't have an employee handbook. And what we did after the fact was make sure that they created one. We wrote one immediately because a lot of clients come to me, especially with small businesses, because they've been handshake mom and pops for a long time. And as they're scaling, they're realizing that they need that legal infrastructure to protect them and that to protect them from people leaving and taking all the secret thoughts. So putting that stuff together, there was not much recourse also because there was no work for hire language. And again, if you create something and you don't have the work for hire language in there, your copyright actually stays with the person who created it if that language is not there, which is why I say when you're hiring a graphic designer or if you're hiring an independent contractor, make sure as the employer, you have that language in there because what they're giving you otherwise is just a license and they can still use it for somebody else or for something else. So that's important to stay in there. Um, There are other times where we were able to go after with some legal threats and depending on the new entity or if the person who left starting something and then there was an issue of reaching out a little bit of customer relations with the clients who they were trying to steal. That gets into more of a non-compete area, which is a little bit fuzzy at this point because you can no longer really use a lot of the non-compete language. So we're putting a lot more strongholds around the the confidentiality provisions and less around the non-compete provisions in contracts right now. Got it. And it sounds like with this, uh, unfortunately for the client that came to you, I mean, fortunate they came to you, unfortunate that (laughs) they didn't have what they needed, that um, and I heard this analogy somewhere at one point. It's easier to fix the roof on a sunny day than Before in the middle, yes. right? It, it, yep. Versus in the middle of a storm. And in this yep. case, it's sort of do we have anything? Oh, we should have something before you yeah. find yourself uh, limited in what you can do because you didn't have this language. Yeah. Th- well, just interrupt for a second. Also, a lot of people start whether in my my entertainment clients or my small business clients. They're working with collaborators, they're working with friends, they're working with family, they're working with people they trust. Um, and what happens is if you don't have good agreements going forward, which are your roadmap, as you know from law school, your roadmaps to your relationships, down the line when something happens, you completely lose those relationships because people are like, he said, she said, it's mine, it's yours. So that's one thing I work on a lot with my clients is making sure because you trust them, because you have this relationship, that's why it's even more important to have these provisions in there so that you can keep the relationships and make sure you all understand what your obligations are, what your responsibilities are, what you get out of it and things like that. 
And who owns what? That's why, that's why I won't get into business with my family. <laughs> uh, all right. So understanding all of this um, and what you've shared with us, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, why, why should people and corporations come to you for their, their IP related needs? Well, the matchmaker. Obviously, that helps. Well, I mean, come on. I can't. <laughs> I, look, wait, we need it. Look, we likelihood of success may not be as high. Perc- no, you know, what is this? Uh, past, perfor- past performance is no indication of future guarantee, something along those lines. It's true, except I do have three marriages under my belt of matchmaking, and I'm definitely going to heaven for that. But that translates over into what I do in business. Um, so it's I definitely, like I said, I'm about relationships. I'm about. I act as go-to general counsel, so I'm always the advisor. It's I don't have a transactional relationship with my clients. I get to know the whole. I get to know what's happening in your business, what's happening with your kids, what's happening with your parents. Do you have deadlines? Do you have certain issues? Um, would it be good for me to match you up with someone else who I know who can help you succeed? I have a lot of venture capitalists as clients. I have a lot of startups as clients. It's very. It makes me happy to make them all successful. Um, that's where I think I stand out from a lot of other attorneys. Um, I really get to know you and make sure that what I do is for you and your business and your world specifically. You can go online, you can cut and paste our, you know, you can save money on legal, you can use legal zoom. That's not what you need. You need the agreements, the understanding, the advisor. I don't charge you for every minute. I, it's a long-term relationship and that's, that's how I, that's how I thrive. That's what feeds my soul too, because I really feel that my clients do great things. They're making the world a better place. Super passionate about what they do. I couldn't do what they do, but I love being able to handle like the back office protections so that they can just do what they need to do and do it really well. I think that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Last substantive question before a fun one. Yes. I kind of told the audience in advance, they would be walking away with three key takeaways. So what are your three takeaways? Know your value, which is very important. And within the same first one, don't negotiate with yourself before you go into a negotiation. Know how to protect yourself would be my second one. And the third one is saying no sometimes is just as important as saying yes. Or knowing what you don't want is just as important as knowing what you want. Oh. And that's that's stuff that I, I always walk through my clients with these. And very often people don't realize they know so much about what they want, but they don't realize until we really go through contracts or we talk about negotiations or, oh, I really don't want that. That that's something they can they can even think about. Great. I think those are three fantastic takeaways. I feel Thank like you. I could um, use those on my own kids. Um, as they make their way through through life. Okay, so um, I had a, I have a fun question for you. Normally, I'd like to ask, uh, you know, favorite TV show, past or present. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to ask you that one. I was really tempted. Well, you know what I'll say for my favorite podcast, so. It's true, right? Uh, I wasn't going to put you on the spot by saying, whose car do you really like more, mine or your husband's? Because, you know, I don't want to upset him. Yeah. Um, it would not be yours, by the way, so we wouldn't have said him. <laughs> Look, 
I know you like the color He's of the car. He's corrupted you. I know. You like I the color of the car all the time. It's not loud like his. You can drive mine without a headache. But he does have kind of a fun car. Different. Obsession. It's different. Yes. Obsession. It's, Compulsion. It is an obsession. Yes. That's that's a whole other thing. We didn't get into that whole thing. And yes, yes, Alyssa's husband is the reason why. If you go on to IDSinc.com and look up my profile, you will see that an alleged hobby mm-hmm. of mine is detailing my car. Yeah. Um, you guys are like two 12 year olds. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Instead, <laughs> I also know you are a huge fan of, well, yes, sunflower seed bagels, but it's not what I was going for. Teas. Yes, that's true. So if you had to choose one and only one pot of tea, what tea would it be? It's easy, vanilla. Either Harney and Son or from McNulty's on Christopher Street. Why do you That's say it's my go to? Uh, what made that easy? Just because it's that good? It's so much better than it's the rest? It's always sitting. It's always brewed. You can combine it with anything. It's my go to black tea. Time I out. Love the time smell. out. Time I out. I love the time taste. Out. It makes me happy. Time out. You can combine it with anything. Uh, this is not like putting tea on your ice cream. What do you mean you can combine? This is going to be with a whole other separate podcast. teas, Jonathan. You can I understand it that, but who combine- And by the way, you can make ice cream with it. You've never had Earl Grey ice cream or green tea ice cream? No, I've had green tea ice cream. And maybe <laughs> I've had Earl Grey ice cream. All right, let's get off the ice cream part, though. Okay. So, all right. I'm going to do yes. a part two to this question. Okay. So it's your two different types of vanilla tea mixed with what to make your then favorite combination? Um, Lapsing Sushan when I feel very dark and smoky. Okay. Um, Earl Grey. Any any kind of, actually I should say any kind of mango, any kind of black tea you can combine it with, I think. And sometimes I do it with my green. You know what? It's just, it's, it's makes me happy. Not for everybody, but it makes me happy. All right. And this, my listeners, is why when I am with Alyssa and she says, would you like some tea? I say yes. And she says, what kind? And I just say, we start surprise black or green, And then we go from there. Yes. Actually, I said like some red zinger. And then she kicks me out of her house. And it's a very short visit. Legit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I want to thank <laughs> Alyssa for joining us today, as well as our regular subscribers and those that may be first time listeners. If you'd like to learn more about IDS or want to subscribe to our IDS Talks podcast and become a uh, frequent listener like Alyssa, yeah, no. you, <laughs> yes. you can visit IDSinc.com or wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Thank you again for joining us. And I look forward to talking more about data with you on our next edition of IDS Talks. Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you. 